Good morning. Good to see you all. Kids, have a blast in Children's Church. Many of you are already headed there. If you're, if you're fourth grade and lower, you can head on out. It is good to be up here again and good to be with you. Good morning to my Faith Church family. Um, as I walk up here this morning, as I walked up here this morning, you know, perhaps some of you are going, who is this guy? Because I'm a new face around here, so if you happen to say, who is this guy, that's okay, that's understandable, because my family and I are uh, just recently arrived in town. So my name is Derek, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am glad to be with you, so I will tell you my name occasionally, because you have been so gracious to tell me your names. Because you all know me and my family, in some, as we've been introduced in the recent weeks, uh, but I do not know all of you, and I probably won't be as good as Pastor Dennis at figuring that out. And so I need you to help me to, to help me and introduce yourselves again and again, and eventually I might get it. But you know, whether I'm able to know and care for each of you individually, uh, that'll be a difficult chore. But be part of a church family means that you will be connected with other followers of Jesus who will know and love you very well, right? Uh, so being new in town. My family and I wanted to jump right into things, experience new things, try new things. So yesterday we were part of something called the Dragon Run. I, look, I even got a medal. We've, we finished the 5K. We didn't run much, but we finished. Anybody else get a Dragon Run medal yesterday? A few? Yeah, right on. Good work. Uh, and you know, as we prepared for this, we were told that the theme was Star Wars, um, and so that's, uh, that's something my family and I can get into. So we were prepared to go for the Star Wars theme. And uh, when we got there, it was a little disappointing to see that there wasn't really that much participation in the Star Wars theme, a little bit. There was this one guy, though, that looked like this. I don't know who is this guy. I mean, what a wacky character. And then uh, for some reason, this guy took a picture with my family. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Oh, yeah, well, okay, it's me. <laughs> Did you figure that out? Um, and so we had a blast. There's one more picture. There's us at the end of the 5K with some of the other uh, Imperial stormtroopers and such. And uh, so we had, a, we had a good time. Uh, and we're, uh, but definitely probably some people looking around going, who is this? Who is this guy? Well, today is Palm Sunday. And when we talk about Palm Sunday, we think back 2,000 plus years ago to the first Palm Sunday, uh, and this was a time when a different guy came into town. A much different guy came to town. Not an unimportant guy like me arriving in Dallas, but when we think of Palm Sunday, uh, we think back 2,000 plus years ago to a, to a man arriving to town, and our passage in God's Word, we'll open there in a minute, says that the whole place, the whole town was stirred up with this question of, who is this guy? And uh, what's all the ruckus about? What's all the hoopla surrounding him? There's crowds walking in front of him and crowds following behind him. And today I want us to consider their reaction. What's our reaction to his arrival? What was the reaction then to the, his arrival? And what does his arrival tell us about him? Now, some once he got into Jerusalem, may have reacted similar to this. 
what are these people so excited about? I've seen this guy before, so I don't get why he's riding into town like a king. It seems like most of these people are excited about this, but I think they're just wowed by the miracles he's doing. Personally, I'm irritated. This guy is getting on my nerves. My friends and I have been leaders around here for quite some time. My friends and I follow the rules to a T. We're supposed to have the authority. We're supposed to have the respect. Who is this guy? So I want you guys to help me this morning. Uh, Raise your hand if you're a 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th grader. Good job. We're glad that you're here. You're part of our church family. So if you're a 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th grader, I need you to uh, be helping me throughout this, this morning. The question that we're considering this morning is, and you, all, you, you kids say, who is this? So what's the question we're considering this morning? I heard a couple of you. And then when the, when the kids ask the question we're asking this morning, I want the rest of us to respond, this is Jesus. So kids, what's the question we're considering this morning? This is Jesus. So have we ever imagined that Palm Sunday? Um, have you put yourselves in the shoes in that day? How did people react to Jesus? Did they really understand who was arriving? And what, as we study his arrival into town, in, in, the, in God's word this morning, uh, what is Jesus revealing about himself? This morning, we go back to the beginning of the end, in a way. This morning, as we look at the first Palm Sunday 2,000 plus years ago, we go back to the beginning of the end, the beginning of the week, the beginning of the last, the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly time. So in some ways, as Palm Sunday is the beginning of the end, but of course, the, the seeming end, Jesus' death on the cross, was not really the end, was it? We'll take a look this morning at God's word of that first Palm Sunday, and in the midst of the chaos and the crowds and the confusion and the mixed emotions, let's see what Jesus declares about himself. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 21. Would love you to have your own Bible with you. Uh, One like this that I've got up here with me works well. One on your phone or iPad or Android works just as well. But have a Bible with you on Sundays if you're not in the habit of doing that. We are, I want you to start bringing a Bible. If you need one, write on your uh, comment card, I need a Bible. We want you to have a Bible and we want you to bring it to church. We want to put our fingers in the text. We want to put our fingers in God's word to hear from him. So while you turn to Matthew chapter 21, let me pray for us. Father God, we come to you now needing to hear from you. We thank you for your word And God, as we study it together, would you be our teacher? And by your Spirit, would you help us to hear and see and understand what you have for us this morning? And Father God, in the words of the psalmist in your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, I pray for each of us this morning that this morning would be all about you, That as we lift our voice in song, as we come to you in prayer, as we study your word, as we encourage one another, God, would this morning give you glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 21. Matthew is the first book of the back part of your Bible that we call the New Testament. Matthew is one of the Gospels or the stories of the life of Jesus. So we're in Matthew chapter 21. 
We're going to start at verse 1, and I'm just going to read a couple verses, and then we'll talk some, and we'll read a couple more verses, and we'll talk some. So keep your Bibles open there in Matthew chapter 1. Keep your fingers in the text this morning. Matthew 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Remember, put yourself in the story. He sent two disciples, verse 2, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Can you imagine being one of those two disciples? Didn't it just sound like Jesus told him to go steal a donkey and a colt? <laughs> and then he says, yeah, but if someone says something to you, just tell them the Lord needs them. Can you imagine being put in that situation and thinking, okay, am I going to go over there and am I going to find things the way he says? And if they ask me, and if I say that, what's going to happen? Tell them the Lord needs them. Now, could the, could the word Lord be misunderstood here just to simply mean, you know, master, a human master? Well, perhaps that could be a, a misunderstanding. But in the life of Jesus, this being Palm Sunday, he's headed just a few days away to his crucifixion, his brutal execution on the cross. In this situation... Jesus is revealing himself with increasing clarity. And as he tells those disciples what they can expect to see, what they will find, what the future will hold, he is revealing himself as our sovereign Lord. If you're a note-taking type, I don't always do the fill-in-the-blank thing, so don't count on it. But if you're a note-taking type, you've got some spot, a spot there to jot some things down, and you can fill in that one. And that's the first one, that Jesus is our sovereign Lord. Jesus here is plainly referring to himself as the one who is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? It means that he is the supreme ruler. It means that he has power over all creation. It means that, that he is the one who providentially directs all things, that orchestrates what happens. And although we sometimes think of God as invisible and hidden, we must know that God sees all, knows all, and his hands direct all things and all people. And as God sovereignly orchestrates all things and all people, how is he doing that? Why is he doing that? According to what purpose is he doing that? God is sovereign and he is the supreme ruler and he is creator of all and he has power over his creation and he orchestrates all to his glory and our good. To his glory and our good. What about when we find ourselves in the eye of the storm? We just sang about. He remains in control. What about when a plane crashes near Eugene and tragically takes lives? God is still in control. He's working according to his glory and his purposes and our good, even if we don't get it. Even if world events seem a little unstable, he remains in control. Jesus is our sovereign Lord. 
God graciously works and accomplishes his purposes. Kids, what's the question we're asking today? So let's continue. Back to the word. Now we're at verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and he quotes here the Old Testament, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 5 is a quote from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the big section in the front part of your Bible. I'm serious. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, I want you to be able to find it. This is a quote here in Matthew from the Old Testament, from an Old Testament prophet named Zechariah. And the, the words of Zechariah, this is the really fun part about this. The words of Zechariah here were written 500 years before this first Palm Sunday, when Jesus in the passage that we're studying right now. So look at uh, Zechariah 9.9 on the screen from 500 years before. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah was prophesying about the promised rescuer, about the coming Messiah. We got to remember this about our Bibles. I know that book in front of you in your lap or on your device is a big book. There's a lot of stories, and there's a lot of stuff that I know, and there's a lot of stuff I forget. But what we've got to remember about our Bibles is that our Bible, isn't just a, our Bible isn't just a bunch of separate stories. Our Bible isn't just some random thing here and another random thing here. Our Bible tells one overarching story of our great God. As we learn and study our Bibles, as we read it more and more, as it means something to you, 60 years later, it still has value in your life as we study God's word and we see this big overarching God story, that story is that God is rescuing and calling a people to himself. That our great and holy and mighty God wants to call and rescue, forgive and care for and have a people. And so the Old and even in the Old Testament, we've got a big Story. The, the big story of the Old Testament is we're messed up. The big story of the Old Testament is that we're messed up, that we rebel, that we go against God, that we fall short, that we can't possibly match up to his standards on our own. But throughout the Old Testament, God promises to send a rescuer. So when Jesus arrives at the Mount of Olives that first Palm Sunday riding a colt, that fulfills Zechariah's prophecy of this promised king coming to liberate his people. The time has now come for Jesus to openly declare that he is that righteous, promised rescuer. God's people, God's people knowing Zechariah's prophecy See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. God's people, knowing that prophecy, may have been looking for a different type of king. They may have pictured a conquering military type king. However, Jesus arrived on a colt as our humble king. As our humble king. 
Jesus would certainly be victorious, but perhaps not victorious in the way that some had imagined. Jesus would certainly arrive, I mean, Jesus had certainly arrived as the righteous one offering salvation, but not not offering military or political victory as some had thought. Pastor Ted talked about arriving. Isn't it fun to imagine in the future Jesus' return and what he'll ride on his return? But here on this first Palm Sunday, instead of riding a stallion into war, Jesus arrived on a colt, like kings of those times would in times of peace. Because Jesus comes to bring peace and reconciliation. This scene of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, this scene should show us that Jesus is both great and humble. This scene of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem should show us that Jesus is both exalted and a lowly servant. And we know that from elsewhere in in our Bibles. Mark 10, verse 45. You may have heard these words before, for even the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, for even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, Jesus again is intentionally revealing himself as the promised rescuer. He fulfills Zechariah 9.9 to say, that promised rescuer you've heard is coming? That's me. Promised rescuer, sovereign Lord, humble king. Kids, what question are we asking? Okay, back to God's word. Verse 6. Matthew 21, verse 6. The disciples went. And did as Jesus had directed them, they found things just the way he said they would. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds here would have included the twelve apostles, those his closest friends, his close, the, the twelve disciples. These crowds probably definitely included other disciples, other true followers of Jesus who had recognized him and heard his teaching and come to know and follow him. This crowd may have included some non-followers of, non-follower followers, some people that weren't yet true disciples but were, were seeing and following and interested in Jesus. There may have been some curious looky-loos, but one important, important clarification is that this is the crowds that are entering Jerusalem with him are not necessarily the same that will in a few days shout, crucify him. He's coming into town mostly surrounded by those that know him and are following him, are trying to see what he's all about. Their cloaks then, put on the donkey and put on the ground, are symbolizing submission to him as a king. Cutting down these palm branches, thus Palm Sunday, putting these palms on the ground is symbolizing Jewish nationalism and victory. And the crowds were expecting a king, but were they expecting this kind of king? They were hopeful for victory, 
But were they hoping for a different kind of victory? And when we consider Jesus arriving in Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday, when we consider who Jesus is in our lives today, are we recognizing him for who he is? Not expecting him to be something else. Something that we should just have a little, I need to add a little bit of Jesus to my life. Not as some helpful tool, but recognizing him as sovereign Lord and humble king. Look at verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So what's Hosanna all about? We sing it sometimes. We proclaim it sometimes if you're in church. We read it here. We don't always know. We don't always remember what it means. Hosanna is uh, changing from one language to the other. Hosanna was a, a transliteration of a Hebrew expression meaning, Oh, save. Save us, Lord. So it's not surprising that this shout is coming to Jesus at this time as they expect this king, as some are looking to the promised rescuer's arrival. This uh, shout, Hosanna, is taken from a Passover season song. We find it in Psalm 18. In Psalm 18, among what we find in Psalm 18, uh, 118, sorry, is, Save us, O Lord, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Shouting Hosanna is recognizing Jesus as rescuing Savior. Sovereign Lord, humble King. And now, as he enters into town and they shout, Hosanna, Son of David, they are acknowledging him as rescuing Savior. Hosanna, oh, save us. And also they refer to him as Son of David, which shows that they are expecting the Messiah. They are expecting this promised rescuer. And so what Jesus declared himself in fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy, now at least some in the crowd are acknowledging him as the promised rescuer. At least some, by shouting Hosanna, by shouting, O save, are recognizing that he is our rescuing Savior. Kids, what's the question we're asking? Who is this? This is Jesus. Verse 10. You guys are doing a good job with that, by the way. I'm impressed. I thought you might be kind of, you know, not wanting to have any fun with me. Might be some grumbling. Good job. Okay, verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? So we're back to where we started. Who is, who is this? And in one sense, they're saying, What's all the hubbub? We've seen this guy. What's so special about him? But the passage here says that the whole city was stirred up. And as things were stirred up, this had to have put the religious leaders of the time a little bit at unease. The religious establishment of the time would be paranoid here that Jesus would be usurping or undermining their power and authority in some way. The whole city was stirred up, God's word says there, and they ask, Who is this? And I don't care how many times you may have already thought you've answered, asked or answered this question. I think this question is absolutely critical to life here on earth. The question, who is this, is, is the question you should probably ask and answer. Who is Jesus? And you know what? I'm not talking about just once. 
back when, when you first became a follower of Jesus. I think that I need, I think that you need daily acknowledgement of who is this. Daily acknowledging sovereign Lord, humble King, rescuing Savior. I need to daily acknowledge that. This question is critical. And I want you to have asked and answered it in your life. And if you're not sure how to answer it, come and talk to me or talk to anybody you've seen up here or talk to a Christian that's sitting near you. Because we want to tell you, this is Jesus. Sovereign Lord, humble King, rescuing Savior. Verse 11 And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowd's response here is potentially somewhat generic. Who is this? And this this verse 11 response is perhaps a little generic. Oh, he's a prophet. Perhaps not recognizing him as the foretold, promised, rescuer, prophet. So some are saying, Hosanna, O Lord, save us. Are are you saying this morning, Hosanna, Lord, save me, not just back when I became a Christian, but Lord, save me today from the ways I rebel and go against you. Save me. Or others are perhaps just saying, he's a prophet. I read about him in my Bible. He seemed to have some good teachings. Seemed to be a pretty good guy. Who is this? Just a guy? Just some guy? Merely a man? A man, yes, absolutely, 100%. Jesus was a flesh and bone man, but not merely a man. A prophet, yes, but more than a prophet. It reminds me of one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Matthew chapter 16. You'll see it on the screen. And Jesus is asking his closest friends, who do you say I am? Some of them respond and say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others think you're Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one, one of the prophets. Just, you know, another, another guy. But Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah the promised rescuer, the son of the living God. I want to respond daily in my life to Jesus the way Peter did. Not merely man. God, man. 100% God, 100% man. I don't get it either. But Jesus, the God, man. And you know where we're going to spend our time in God's word in coming weeks? Studying the life of the God-man. After Easter, we're going to start a new series through the Gospel of Mark. The series will be entitled, The God-Man. Because we want to know Jesus and follow Jesus. Kids, we are asking... Okay, hold on. This... (laughs) This is your last chance, and we're running out of gas. We can't finish that way. 
If you're in fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth, I know there's more than two and a half of you. The question we're asking today is, Who is this? This is Jesus. Admittedly, the kids are outnumbered. That's why you, the rest of you sound so good. <laughs> today we've been looking at this first Palm Sunday, often referred to as the triumphal entry. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem we call triumphant, and I think, and yet it's triumphant in a little bit of a paradoxical sense, isn't it? Is it triumphant? Some people look at the events of the week and don't think it looks very victorious. The triumphal entry on Sunday seems to end with getting nailed to a cross on Friday. Triumphal entry looks like he lost. Reminds me of the paradox of calling this coming Friday Good Friday. What's so good about Good Friday? What's good about this Friday is that it's the pinnacle of God's loving rescue plan. When Jesus goes to the cross, it's not an accident. He didn't lose, He did it willingly for you and for me. Good Friday is good because it shows us God's love and his rescue plan for us. And so this week, let's not just go about our week as any other week. Let me encourage you this week as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday, as we go this week in our lives and our relationships and our routines and we look forward to next Sunday and we celebrate the risen Jesus, let's first prepare ourselves. Let's remember what Jesus has done. Let's consider Good Friday. And so we're going to do that this morning by sharing in the Lord's Supper together in just a couple of minutes. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper where we take the cracker and the juice to symbolize his body and his blood given for us. And so we want that to prepare our hearts and our minds for for remembering Jesus' suffering for us. So let me read God's word to you. And you can follow along on the screens if you want. This is from 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin. He was perfect, sinless, undeserving of a death sentence. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When Jesus went to the cross, look at that there at the end of this, at the end of this verse up here on the screen. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't try to get out of it. He didn't resist. I mean, he knew it was serious. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, take this cup from me. Is there any other way, Father, I could do this? But, but he goes willingly. He, and how does he do that? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Who's the only one that judges justly? God, his Father. And so he goes to the cross, he endures the suffering because he entrusted himself to the Father's plan. And then that verse continues on the next screen. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
as he died and is raised again, we can die to our old sinful selves and be raised to new life in Jesus. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you and me, for you, weren't you? Straying like a lost sheep. Not just once when you needed to become a follower of Jesus for the first time, but yesterday. Straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, have you gone astray? And do you need to return to the good shepherd? Do you need to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly? I urge you to quit trying to please him or match up or earn or strive. I urge you to realize you can't do it on your own and that you can entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. You can return to Jesus, the good shepherd. I want to pray. And while I pray, the, those that are going to be serving our uh, communion elements can come up and be in place. And I'd like to pray for you and for me. And then we will share in the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word that we got to study together this morning. We thank you for giving us the Bible to hear from you. And we thank you that you, by your spirit, indwell us and help us and carry us and lead us and guide us. God, we thank you for the word that we studied this morning in Matthew 21. God, we thank you that the word we studied this morning reveals that Jesus is Lord, King, and Savior. God, I pray that for me and for everyone in this room, that we would increasingly be aware of, of your son's identity as sovereign Lord, humble King, rescuing Savior. Father God, help us to know him and follow him surrender our lives to him, entrust ourselves to him. God, teach us to walk by your spirit, to die to our old selves, our sinful selves, and to, be, to live for you. God, we thank you that you are a great and mighty God who has come near to us, who sent Jesus. So Father, as we reflect uh, via the Lord's Supper in a moment, Father God, we Thank you for the cross, this instrument of death where Jesus brought victory over death and sin and made new life possible for us. Father God, as we come to the table, as we share in the Lord's Supper together, we remember now that good Friday when you gave your life for us. And we look forward to celebrating together your glorious resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your great love demonstrated to us on the cross. Help us to remember it this week as we look forward to celebrating the victorious resurrection of Christ. Amen. We invite you to stand as we close our time together.
Thank you to the team for leading us to the Lord. Uh, have a great rest of your Sunday. We want to leave you with this. I want you to be preparing yourselves for Resurrection Sunday. I already encourage you this, but be in God's Word this week. Find uh, the story of Jesus' life. Read about his death and resurrection and consider Good Friday. Don't rush to next Sunday, but I urge you to spend some time with God in God's Word this week, uh, reflecting on all that he has done for us. And then I want us to prepare ourselves as a church family to receive guests next Sunday as well. Um, as you know, we're, we're looking pretty full most Sundays right now already, and we want to be a welcoming place for your friends and your family and your coworkers and your fellow students that you're going to be inviting to Easter this week. We want them to be here. We want them to be welcome. We want them to feel comfortable when they get here. So... Uh, we as a church family need to work at that. It doesn't just happen, and we need your help. Things like parking far away so that guests could park closer. Sitting closer to me in the splash zone so that guests, so that guests can sit in the more comfortable places for them when they come in, in the back would help. Sliding together and not leaving empty seats, all those kind of things is how we show hospitality, right? If this is your church family, if you've been coming for a while, you're comfortable, and you know people, and you know where you sit. And my family and I are going to be moving around to see how you handle when we sit there. <laughs> so, so, but when you don't come here all the time, these things are new, and we need to be ready to be show hospitality, to care for people, to park far, to sit near, to be ready to talk with people and care about them and point them to the good news of Jesus. Amen? All right. Hey, have a great Sunday. Lord bless you and keep you.